Hey, welcome to the Comic Syllabus Podcast, where we read widely and dig deep in comics and graphic novels. Today, we're going to talk about Wingbearer from um, Marjorie Liu and Tenny Isakanian from Quill Tree Books, which is an imprint of Harper Collins, um, Harper Alley, their middle grade graphic novel imprint. Wingbearer is a lot of fun, and uh, it's a fantasy story um, about uh, rescuing a world that where the 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 reborn souls of birds um, are uh have been snuffed out right, i'll put it that way um super fun graphic novel that we'll talk about um for ya readers and then in a sharp turn <laughs> i will talk about the batman spoiler free uh, i just came back from seeing the batman and uh i'd love to give some thoughts without um spoiling it for you I know I whenever I don't get to see a movie because I'm a parent <laughs> and work, uh, I always want to hear about it, but I, I don't um, want it to be messed, you know, ruined. I don't, I don't want all the plot points. I just want some general impressions from somebody who thought about the movie. And, uh, and that's what I hope to, to provide you today. All right. So we'll dig into that right after the The Comic Syllabus Podcast is hosted by me. I am Paul, and I am an English teacher. Thank you so much for joining us here. Um, we're here every other week at multiversitycomics.com, a great website for comics news, reviews, interviews, and um, high chews. Uh, if you like um, this podcast, you may also like Robots from Tomorrow at multiversitycomics.com. You may also like the Multiversity uh, Manga Show. You, you may also like um, the, the Force Ghost Star Wars Show. You may also like the DC3 cast. Uh, those, those folks are, are so fun. Uh, you may also like Make Mine Multiversity. There's a lot of podcasts is what I'm saying at multiversitycomics.com where we talk about comics and comics-related media and all of that. So check them out. And, uh, you know, big shout-out to... To uh, DC3 and Brian, who uh, did an episode recently about the Batman. So definitely don't want to step on that episode um, as I share some of my own thoughts here um, later on. But uh, so check that out. Um, this podcast also lives at comicsyllabus.substack.com. And that's where you can go if you want um, actually more uh, more commentary about comics. Because um, besides the Every Other Week episodes here... Uh, at this feed at, 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 uh, and at multiversitycomics.com. The Comic Syllabus Substack also includes um, some additional material that I will write and also I will um, release as, as short podcasts um, and, and maybe even a little bit of video uh, podcasts. Uh, and so we haven't reached the threshold of the number of supporters. You know, um, <laughs> the fewer friends you have, the more valuable they are. But uh, <laughs> thank you so for for those of you who do support us, um, support me and and the work that I try to do here at the Comic Syllabus Substack. And if you are interested in, in doing that and helping mo make more stuff happen, uh, you can go there and check out uh, monthly or annual uh, Substack subscriber support. All right, so let's dig in. Um, I'm going to talk about the Wing Bear. No, actually, sorry. I'm going to talk about Wingbearer. There's no definite article in front of that title. There is a definite article in front of the Batman, <laughs> but um, but I'm going to talk about Wingbearer. Um, but just as a lead-in, it's it was, it's just kind of interesting. I'm coming. It's Saturday evening, and I just came back from uh, something I've never done in my life, which is go to a movie in a movie theater by myself. 
<laughs> it's um, I don't know. Some people are like, that's totally normal. You know, I, I go to go see a movie. You know, I just I just like, you know, seeing the movie. Why why do I have to be with somebody? You know, it's hard to schedule. You got to figure out. You know. Uh, transportation and babysitting sometimes, <laughs> whatever. So, so, so I, I definitely have listened with envy as I've heard about friends who go to see movies by themselves. But yet, I just never sort of could, I don't know, justify it to myself. And then today, um, you know, my my wife and kid were having a little uh, date with each other, and uh, as we do kind of every week, and, and we both we we both take turns doing that. And then I said, hey, I'm gonna go see a movie by myself. And uh, you know what? It was fun. I um I had reached out to to a couple friends, but you know it was very last minute. So I thought, you know what, I I just want to go see the movie for me, uh, not necessarily for the the shared experience. And I realized being in the theater, every time I'm in a theater watching a movie with uh with somebody else, I am thinking about that other person and how they're seeing the movie. And I don't think that's such a bad thing. It's just I just. It was a weird experience to be in the theater and to watch a movie and just have just care about how I thought about it. Yeah, it was interesting, um, and uh, I liked it. I'll talk more about it later on after Wing Bear. But one of the things about it was I, you know, um, it it's it's very dark, and uh, I'm, I'm talking about a um, I'm gonna talk you know I'm talking now about a, a, a graphic novel for middle grade readers, kids age ages eight to twelve. It, the Batman is not a movie for kids ages 8 to 12. <laughs> I think it's more of a movie for for us old folks. Um, and I keep thinking about that fact, um, that it is for us old folks. Um, <laughs> because, you know, um, I, I grew up on um, Dark Knight Returns and Batman the Animated Series and and there's um, something of that vibe maturing into, you know, whatever it's late 30s or early 40s or whatever that um, me and 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 the um, directors of many of the blockbusters that we now watch these days uh, being roughly uh, people of around that age and era generation and I think a little bit about what's swimming around in our cultural consciousnesses consciousness consciousnesses that um, produces these stories that we like to see laid out on the big screen and how they compare to the stories that we're telling our own children now. Um, so that's just a thing, you know? And I, I mean, I remember um, that the, the narrative um, of a very corrupt world and then of um, the hero being the lone person who strikes out against that corrupt world, um, you know, the whether be they old or young, and in Dark Knight Returns, you know, part of the romance of it was it was just sort of this old, tired um, Bruce Wayne, uh, you know, be they old or young, the way that you somehow find the fortitude to uh, not cave in to the corruption of the world around you was was the narrative that was very stitched into my um, cultural awareness um, and even my conception of myself, how ready I was to, um, you know, to engage in critical theory as a college student, let's say, um, those kinds of things very much formed by this imprint of comics and um, you know animated series and things like that when I was a kid. So I think a lot about stories that kids read and what they tell us about the world and how um, a kind of suspicion for um, the easy corruption of powers that be um, 
is so such a a way that superhero stories and fantasy stories and sci-fi and so on can teach something to kids uh, that is about a reality that's um, very scary and very real. Um, as you know, as I teach um, the the middle school kids that I that I teach, and as well as teaching the the educators who are um, in graduate school preparing to to be teachers, how we talk about society and how stories that we read, yes, can help us to to sort of deepen our empathy, but but really to also to, to develop, um, as I always talk about, a kind of sociological imagination. It's, um, I think it's, it's really, um, I think, hitting me the ways that we conceive of uh, ourselves in relation to structures, institutions, and society and community and ecologies, be they human ecologies or natural ecologies, the way that, you know, that, that's very constructed by these stories that we hear and what we owe to each other and what we owe as a responsibility to um, our planet and so on, all these can be deeply shaped. So I can touch on that a little bit more about the Batman when we get to the Batman, but I say all that as a, as a sort of run-up to talking about Wing Bear. Um, so Wing Bear is, uh, I think it just came out. Um, it is a couple, the last couple weeks, and it is written by Marjorie Liu. Um, if you don't know Marjorie Liu, um, she is the writer of Monstrous from Image Comics, which, you know, early on in its run was winning several awards, at, you know, Eisner Awards and things like that for as a comic for teen readers. But I think it's borne out that it's it is, I think it's really good for teens, actually. Um, but I think it's also very adult um, in many respects. And so Monstrous continues. I think it's, you know, at the end or nearing its end. I, I have some catching up to do with Monstrous. Um, I, I personally really love that that comic from Image um, drawn by drawn gorgeously by Sana Takeda. Um, Marjorie Liu has also written for uh, Marvel. Um, also, tons of you know cool fantasy and uh, you know urban urban fantasy and sci-fi and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, also teaches at MIT. <laughs> and also wrote a lot of X twenty three that I really love. Um, that Marvel character, that Wolverine clone uh, character. So Marjorie Liu writes. Uh, maybe for the first time, to my knowledge, a graphic novel here that's specifically targeted toward middle grade readers. Um, and then the artist, Tenny Isakanian, who I did not know before this book, um, uh, author credit says is an Armenian American illustrator who's worked as a storyboard artist and visual development artist in, um, you know, Walt Disney animation and DreamWorks and all that kind of stuff. And also graduated from UC Berkeley. Hey, shout out. Go Bears. Um, this art is sumptuous. I mean, amazing. I mean, there were panels and pages in this book where I felt like the level of uh, professional craft that you normally find in, say, a DreamWorks or <laughs> Disney animated um, movie is, uh, is being done in comics form. And, you know, we are getting treated to more of more of these um, where the level of craft and artistry is just off the charts. I mean, this is like, seriously, this is like Disney <laughs> DreamWorks level of um, animation, lighting, color, style, um, framing, mise-en-scene, you know, um, uh, world building, character development, um, costume design. I mean, it's incredible. 
Um, the art in this book is incredible, and we're getting it first as comics, you know? Um, my only sort of visual complaint, if it's not, it's not even a complaint, it's just an adjustment of my eyes, is just that I think the, the way that um, these kinds of colors and this range of color tends to look gorgeous on a screen, sometimes on a page, uh, tends to come off dark, uh, a little bit dark, uh, if it's not a backlit screen, but, um, but <laughs> that's such a minor quibble. I mean, this art is amazing. And, you know, so it's, it's, you know, there've been sort of the animated movies and they'll just take screenshots of it and screen captures of, of it and put it into comics panels. This is not that because in addition to the, uh, sort of, you know, uh, high quality animation level of art, there's also the, the sort of, um, savvy comics uh, ways of storytelling on a page, um, the way that panels cut across each other and um, use of just all kinds of stylistic tools and uh, ways of leading the eye that um, show that uh, Tenny Sakanian knows what they're doing. <laughs> this is an absolutely gorgeous book. I, I can't even believe it. I mean, looking through it now, I just, it's amazing. And then the other thing I really got to say for this book, um, and I'll and I'll I should probably sum up the the synopsis here, but um, is that Marjorie Liu um, knows how to write a fantasy world and to tell a story that's gripping and that really feels satisfying. And I I, I love the profusion, the proliferation of um, middle grade and YA graphic novels that we've gotten, you know. Um, through the growing number of imprints every publisher is starting to have that's taking after, you know, first, second, and graphics, and the success that they've had. It's great. You know, Random House has got theirs, and, uh, you know, DC Kids, you know, and Marvel. It's just we're in a – we're spoiled <laughs> these days as as people who care about um, young readers and what kinds of comics they have and the quality of material that they have. But I have to say that sometimes – um, as much as I love, I think I, I love most of all is the diversity of, of creators that are involved in these and the, and the, and the diversity, of, therefore, of stories and characters that we're getting. Um, but sometimes there's something in the storytelling pacing and craft that um, the, you know, the sort of typical kid graphic novel, YA graphic novel size story often is paced in a way that doesn't feel terribly exciting. The climaxes sort of come and go quickly, um, the predictable beats that um, don't really mount uh, a ton of excitement. And then I think the fact that so many of them uh, are series or lead-ins to series or, you know, sort of you don't find out till the, till the end that they, they've been, you know, drawing this bigger world and they're actually meant to be a trilogy or a five-part or a seven-part or an amulet, you know, length um, mega series, leaves leaves something wanting. And and actually, I think that's pretty characteristic of a lot of middle grade fiction and and YA books. Um, they're written for the series in a sense. Uh, they're almost pilots, you know, even though they can be full and satisfying adventures in themselves. Um, and I say that because Wingbearer, I think, to me, is not guilty of that first critique of mine namely i think the pacing in the story is tremendous i think it feels like it builds i think there's um it's just really excellent pacing it doesn't it doesn't feel like 
you know, sometimes I think you read you read these and you breeze through them. And because you breeze through them, there's there's little time to really mount any sense of um, suspense or or really mounting tension. Which I, I feel sometimes as a reader, I'm going through the motions and kind of emotionally not terribly invested in this um, when they're when things are predictable and so on. Not so with Wingbearer. I, I felt really, uh, I, I cared about the twists and turns. Um, there was uh, enough mystery, and I don't want to give anything away, um, even when I kind of do a synopsis. There's enough mystery in, the, in, in each character that we encounter and sort of, you know, how the journey proceeds. And there's a sense of things building and increasing in grandeur. Um, I, I will note, and this is maybe a slight spoiler, but... Um, but I, th- I think one worth giving is that it, it is somewhat guilty of that second criticism that I mentioned. It uh, ends, but doesn't. <laughs> There's clearly more to come and more to be written. And that's fine. That's great. Um, but there's nothing in the book that telegraphs that, you know, this isn't Wingbearer book one, or this isn't announced as, you know, the beginning of a series. Um, but by the time you get to it, you realize that far too much world has been painted <laughs> for us to leave it here. And so I hope that there's much more. I will lap up, you know, any more of this story, um, especially with Marjorie Lou, you know, at the at the writing, you know, helm and and Tenny Essekanian's art is just, like I said, incredible. Uh, they need to adapt this into all the media. <laughs> um, but it does sort of, you know, as you get to the end and the number of pages is very few, you realize, oh, I'm not going to get a true resolution of all the parts that have been opened up. This is only the beginning. And we're just breaking this open. Okay, what is this? I should probably, I should probably do this at the beginning. Paul, terrible. This is like... This is like, you know, uh, uh, essay writing 101. You <laughs> you start by mentioning the context of the story, you know. You don't have to summarize the whole thing, but just enough that we know what we're talking about. Okay. Wingbearer is, uh, opens with um, uh, a main character that we see right in the middle of the, the, the cover. Um, their name, her name, is um, in my notes, which I'm about to open right now. I've been talking off the cuff. Uh, I just came back from the movie theater, so I need to open up my notes that I took earlier today about this book but um yeah it's it it really kind of uses employs the um like i said those luscious visuals very early on by um planting us in uh amidst a a huge gigantic um tree uh that's actually called the great tree and we meet our main character who is um a young girl um, named zuli and Zuli is is speaking with these uh, very clearly kind of, you know, ghostly spirit-like birds who live in this great tree, as well as a not ghostly, not spirit-like owl named Frowley, <laughs> who we can tell right away is going to be kind of the um, the uh, grumpy companion to Zuli, our hero through this story. And um, the great tree, as we come to find out, is where... Um, at when birds die, their spirits come to be reborn in the great tree. And they're, they're sort of born as a leaf, but then they float out and they enter into um, the, the bodies of newborn birds. And birds obviously carry um, a deeper mystical meaning, um, and their spirits attached to this great tree obviously is, is um, about uh, much more than just mere biology. Um, 
but Zuli has never been, or at least has no memory of being, um, not in this great tree. And you see her, you know, in, in very quick, um, quick, uh, within a page, grow up uh, here in this big tree among these spirits who nurture her. And uh, then some things happen, and uh, here's where I'll, I won't give away a lot, but some things happen that um, compel Zuli to go out into the world beyond, um, which is the world that, uh, I guess the world we know, but but with goblins and dragons and so on. And so, um, so Zuli, uh, Frowly, the old, uh, somewhat um, uh, overcautious owl, uh, are sent on on a mission, you know, and they have to plunge into the great unknown, which is a world where they meet Orion, a goblin, uh, a young goblin, and um, the other goblins, and uh, and you know other creatures, as they go on this magic-filled journey toward the north, um, of course. And um, at one point, uh, a, a, you know, the the a wise older character says we are all born at a crossroads with many paths before us and always there's a choice we can choose to kneel down or stand we can choose to hide or fight and of course put into the mouth of this older wiser character is one of the key themes of Wingbearer. um the choice that we have with the many worlds before us the many paths before us whether we will hide or fight right and so in sort of a typical hero journey fashion, um, Zuli goes to explore this wider world to face the dangers of what seems um, to be like a witch queen who has these magical soul fetters on different <laughs> characters. And, um, and then, of course, along the way to discover herself and find her own identity. Um, like I said, beyond the beautiful visuals the storytelling is um you know uh just beautifully paced um and characters are intriguing as we encounter them there are things that will be familiar to stories of any fantasy or you know there's some ways where zuli as a protagonist is is hugely lovable um but you know they they you you might you might be justified to feel like this is kind of the typical blank slate modern fantasy you know uh post disney or pixar heroine you know and and of course the, as the story goes along there grows into a traveling band of of um of devotees who are who are trying to free themselves from oppress oppressive you know sort of clans and and in lord of the rings fashion they're all joining the mission together um but but it works you know it works and, you know, I, I always hope for young readers to have a fresh and renewed um, experience of this kind of story. And I think this is a fantastic one for that. Um, so, you know, my hat's off to, to Marjorie Liu and, and Tene Isakanian for making a, a, a wonderful graphic novel that I'm excited to hand to people. Um, and, I, and I think that the value to me of... These stories of renewing and setting into fresh context and, again, without giving up away too much of where this story goes and what's maybe interesting about some of the twists and turns of the reveals, um, is that kids hunger, you know, young people hunger for stories that are about identity 
and identity that is breaking away from uh, uh, sort of all of the, the the things that feel false and, and hypocritical and, and and artificial and maybe repressive and maybe um, uh, you know frustrating about the adult world, you know, about their parents or school or whatever, you know. And I think that a narrative about setting off on your own is really important, you know, that that Joseph Campbell hero journey um, trope, set of tropes, you know, um, meta meta story is is important just because of the way it fits so um, crucially into our you know, our, our, our psyche, you know, the, the way that it matches or maps onto the way that our, our cultures, um, I don't presume all cultures, but our cultures in particular way, uh, narrate the journey into adulthood. Um, and, and maybe what adolescence, um, is constructed to mean for us. But I think that those stories can foster or breed a lot of cynicism um, and, and, and perhaps hopelessness about the degree of corruption of the broader world, you know. Um, you know, it can be sort of all eye of Sauron <laughs> everywhere. Um, or they can admit hope. And for me, I'm really interested in where that hope lies in these stories. Because I think that you can tell a lot of these stories that, though not necessarily bad, they sort of breed a lot of individualism, a lot of this idea that, you know, hope is to be found really only in you fulfilling your your uh, your own destiny, and that's so often the the trope of these stories. Uh, and and again, I get it. I think that that's important for. Um, for young people, even not young people, in terms of conceiving of ourselves as having a sense of meaning and purpose and significance. But, you know, so often that sense of you being the one comes at the expense of being able to, A, <laughs> uh, recognize the, the power of collectivity, and B, often involves a kind of negation of culture, tradition, peoples, because that's the sort of old and tired and bankrupt and and corrupt, oppressive old regime that you're trying to free yourself from. And while there's elements of truth in that, I think that it can, um, you know, make people feel like that the only way through is uh, is on your own. And that, that to me, is a very anti-social... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a and uh you know it doesn't it doesn't inspire folks to join a labor union you know, or or um or you know be part of a political movement where your name may never be known um it's uh and uh and i think you know these days i feel like we do have kids do have much more than when i was a kid a sense of the power of collective action um, and yet, you know, sometimes it, it can become a kind of performative, um, participation rather than a, um, skin in the game struggle and suffering because we still kind of expect that things should work out for us. And so stories where things don't work out for us so easily because 
it uh, often requires sacrificing our own greatness or our own hero journey um, because it's not about us. It's about something larger than us. Those stories are, or those elements of stories are, are rare and maybe because they wouldn't sell as well and they're less interesting to kids. Um, but what I think Wing Bear does, again, without giving too much away, is to do the, the first, which is to tell that hero's journey type of story without sacrificing the possibility of the second, which is to remind us that we um, are part of an ecology, we're part of communities, and that, um, you know, finding our identity doesn't necessarily mean um, departing from those who we um, came from. Uh, <laughs> it's not all evil out there and goodness within. Um, and, and that um, portends well for what is seemingly going to be a much larger story, as I expect and look forward to Wing Bear Book 2 and three and four and beyond so check out zuli's adventures and the many friends the many beautifully uh illustrated and um wonderfully written friends that zuli encounters along the way in wing bear from quiltree books by marjorie lou and tenny isaganian check it out all right i'm gonna take a little break and then i'll come back and talk about the batman Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> the real star of the Batman is is Michael Giacchino in the soundtrack. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> I've been listening to it a lot. Um, I went and saw the movie tonight. And um, just right out the gate, again, not, not, not going to spoil anything uh, big, major for the, for the movie. Although, of course, if you are averse to hearing anything at all of course uh, please stop and come back later um but yeah no no major spoilers here um but in short i would say b plus yeah b plus <laughs> which is uh which is good i i don't know that a, a, a dc movie has reached b plus for me since maybe wonder woman i'm sure i'm missing something um, I've liked a lot of them, um, and uh, I, I, you know, few things reach the levels of an A for me in terms of movies. Um, Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, I don't know, <laughs> you know, um, but uh, I liked the Batman, I did. Um, you know, I, actually a, a couple days ago in the run-up as people were talking about it, and I was getting excited because of all the chatter, um, I didn't think I would have time to watch the movie, but I did. I got to today. But anyway, I was sort of contenting myself with revisiting old Batman. Uh, and so while I was washing the dishes, I started watching. Um, I, I thought, you know, I don't remember much about The Dark Knight Rises, you know, the third movie of the Christopher Nolan trilogy. And so I was looking back, and I thought, 2012, 2013, okay. So, oh yeah, I do remember uh, Bane and that goofy voice and something about Catwoman. So I started watching it while I was washing the dishes, and I, I realized I haven't seen this movie. I, <laughs> I think I tricked myself. I think at that time I was just not that interested, and um, I didn't, 
I don't think I ever sat and watched it from beginning to end. I think I saw it, you know, while others were watching it, you know, kind of over their shoulders, um, <laughs> a snippet here and a snippet there, and never actually sat and took in the whole movie. So I watched The Dark Knight Rises, and I gotta say that was a B plus for me too. That was, um, I thought it was not that good, but I was, I mean, I, I had heard, and so I was surprised at how much I liked it. Um, I think maybe Dark Knight would have been a B minus, uh, an A minus for me. Okay, let's <laughs> just calibrating the, the meaning of my grades. Matt Reeves is the Batman, uh, starring Rob Patterson, Pattinson. I keep saying Patterson. And, um, uh, you know, the Watcher, <laughs> Jeffrey Wright as, as, uh, as uh, Jim Gordon, uh, and then Paul Dano as the Riddler, um, and Zoe Kravitz uh, in, as Selena Kyle as Catwoman, with um, Colin Farrell playing the Penguin and... Uh, John Turturro as Carmine Falcone, you know, solid, solid cast. I forgot to mention Andy Serkis playing uh, uh, Alfred. It's just a super solid cast. Um, like I said, the the music tremendous. I thought that the um, you know cinematography and whatever the the effects, the design, the Gotham City, you know, all of it really well done. And, you know, I kept hearing people say this, and uh, and they were right, <laughs> the many crit critics that I, I heard talking about it. But it seems different from the many iterations we've seen in the past, and yet uh, matches, you know? It still has that vibe. It's not, it's not campy. Uh, it's not kooky. Uh, no giant dinosaurs or coins. Um, it's, it's, uh, everybody keeps saying grittier, but what does that mean? I, I felt like they were all pretty gritty, but, um, but I think it's less about the sort of like, um, you know, metropolitan, uh, gleaming city and much more of kind of the, the sort of, um, underbelly and, and alleyways and things like that. Um, and, uh, so it's, yeah, it's a really well-realized world. Um, I think that the performances were um, well, pretty much really solid across the board. Um, no, there wasn't a Heath Ledger, you know, nothing that just blew my socks off, but but not, nothing that um, made me trip up at all um, in wondering why, you know, so-and-so was cast or, or what was on, what sort of anger at the director or whatever was on so-and-so's mind that that kept them from really engaging and everybody was uh solid uh and uh and the story uh as you may have heard or um you know make a sense from the trailer it's um it's darker it's definitely drawing from some of that um chinatown superco um seven um kind of uh dark serial killer type of story um people keep talking about how it's a a detective story it's much more um batman as as a detective and um again without giving it too much away i think that's kind of true um but i but not in some of the ways that when i think of uh for instance 90s era batman you know um uh alan grant type of batman uh, it's not that kind of detective batman to me um i think Actually, I was reminded a lot of watching Seven um, and and that kind of a feeling of 
and, and maybe this is the part where it seems like more like modern noir, noir, which is that there is um, a sense of swirling inevitability, and there's some terror in that of these um, murders, really, that are driving the story. Um, and like I said, it's not for kids. <laughs> Definitely pretty dark. Um, but what made it, I think, uh, a B plus and pretty good besides just quality of execution is that, um, you know, this very, uh, uh, sort of emo <laughs> Kurt Cobain, my chemical romance, um, Rob Pattinson version of Batman, um, seems to be carrying around a core tension a core contradiction which is very much at the heart of of to me the the best renditions of the character and i think this batman is playing that up um you know there's just certain notes that are that um it's playing up more so i think than the nolan trilogy uh, more so than 89 batman or than the val kilmer um, which I remember really liking at the time. <laughs> um, and maybe I feel like it actually was this thing that I'm just about to you know, describe probably came through the most in, in some of the best stuff like Mask of a Phantasm, um, the animated series movie, um, which is this contradiction between Batman as um, a... a character really driven in his origin story by this compulsion to right the wrong of his parents murder and that that is in some senses difficult moral material on which to become a figure of justice you know let alone hope and restoration or renewal <laughs> as the case may be. Batman is not, um, it, it, he seems to all, be all about this, his city, right? And making things right. And yet there's a core uh, bitterness that, you know, you really wonder if that can be the stuff, if that can be the foundation, if being driven uh, doing push-up after push-up or traveling the world to study, you know, the martial arts and learning to become a great detective so that you can um, stop villains and foil, you know, the next um, uh, murderer of some somebody's parents. Can that really sustain a true, you know, truly, like, pro-social <laughs> um, vision, you know, can that, can that really make you love a city or does it make you just really hate and want to wail on some crooks? <laughs> and I think that tension is, um, is very real, not just to like the story or the premise or the setup or why we're into Batman or not into Batman. Um, but it's actually very real to what these stories do for us, you know, like, you know, so many of these stories are a kind of like revenge fantasy for us. And we're into it because it's just so cool how capable he is of pulling off that thing that we um, just think is really, really like, like that's so cool to have 
it's so cool to have your parents killed and then get people back for it you know it's so cool to uh to take that you know uh, anger and that emotion that feeling of helplessness as a victim uh, when you're bullied or when you know the world is treats you wrong and then to sort of seize back power by owning the night and, and and terrorizing those who would terrorize and take advantage of others there's something really really cool about that and then you step back and you know after you've uh uh you know can't come come home from your job and you're <laughs> and you've read the news and you've you know put your kids to bed and you go think about it and you go why why is that so appealing why is that so cool and there's a there's some core tensions in that psychology why is that story so imprinted in us hmm what are we not dealing with <laughs> So among Matt Reeves's, um, you know, go-to comics uh, that he he's mentioned as an influence, I think it's super interesting. Uh, he mentions, of course, Long Halloween. Um, this is a Batman Year Two story, but you can see the influence of Batman Year One on it. Um, but I think the most interesting uh, shout-out that Reeves has given in terms of comics is Darwin Cook's um, Batman Ego. Um, this is indeed Batman Ego. Or Batman emo, <laughs> as you can see from the 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 uh, trailer <laughs> images of Robert Pattinson. No, um, but the the Batman ego, the sense of um, who is the very. If you haven't read that one uh, by Darwin Cook, it's yeah, it's if you have a Comicsology Unlimited account, I think you can grab it or, or DC universe uh, infinite account uh or you can pick up a copy if you can find one it's just it's darwin cook it's gold um but uh actually it's more shadows um but i think that the um yeah that kind of wrestling with what is inside of you that drives you and can a can an appropriate heroism that truly looks out for you know um, the citizenry, <laughs> you know, come from that. Um, it's interesting. Interesting. I think that's what the movie kind of um, ponders in its way. And um, yeah, and I think it does it in a gripping way. Three hours went by pretty fast. Um, I didn't take a bathroom break. <laughs> Super thirsty now. Um, and I can confirm that um, there's lots of great chemistry between Selena Kyle and uh and Pat Pat Patman um and that the uh, again the score <laughs> is perfect and i think it's actually that's probably the best encapsulation so if you if you can't see it yet um for a while you can't kind of break away like i did to <laughs> take a lonely trip to the movie theater to to watch the movie or to go with your your loved ones or something like that um Listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> Find the soundtrack, because there's something in the um, the Batman theme, and then the last track on that soundtrack that uh, really captures that there is a sense of like, you know, that that um, driving beat, the dun 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 dun. It sounds like Darth Vader. There is a sense of like the fear and foreboding that that character is trying to instill in criminals um but uh again without giving too much away 
at the same time that the impact of that is supposed to make us go, oh, cool, Batman. From the opening scenes, we are also questioning that. You know, we're questioning the whole, you know, prospect of inspiring terror um, and fear in the hearts of criminals. And the theme, the Michael Giacchino beautiful music, actually um, goes from that and weaves back and forth between that and this. Uh, and if you don't know Michael Giacchino, it's the same, uh, you know, composer who did the score for um, Lost which was also this mix of like tremendous, you know, screeching violin terror or, or weirdness and uh, a lot of emotion. Um, and also was the, you know, the composer that did the sound soundtrack, the score for Up, the Pixar movie Up, you know, and the incredible sentimental emotionality uh, uh, that just <laughs> brings tears to my eyes every time I, I hear that music. And some of that, blends right into that, you know, somber, dark night, Darth Vader theme. And so there's in um, this movie and in Pattinson's Batman and Matt Reeves' vision in the black and red that suffuses the the lighting of this movie, uh, this mixture of extremely sanguine... <laughs> hopefulness and emotionality with um this deep deep fear um and why why do those go together and what happens when they when they mix in us and what happens when the kid who revels in that in the frank miller batman grows up and (laughs) and has to um face a world where we're handing our kids the abject terror of (laughs) pandemics warfare and climate change (laughs) And what does that responsibility mean for us? And, um, yeah, things that I'm asking myself as I leave the movie theater solo and as I podcast now with you about it. So thanks for listening. (laughs) Those are my weird takes, (laughs) the weirdest takes on the Batman. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So you can comment on the Substack or... um, Reach me on Twitter at Tuply, T-W-O-P-L-A-I, or email me at Tuply at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Those of you who listen, thank you so much for those of you who have written. Um, some of you educators, librarians, or partners of librarians, um, just comics fans, um, old friends and new. Thank you so much for, for listening. I love, I love your thoughts, and let me know what's good and working the podcast um, for you. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Substack, uh, link will be in the show notes because um, there's more. There's more to come. I'm going to I'm gonna release more stuff and talk about some comics and Substack and other stuff at the Substack. Um, thanks for joining me every other week. Uh, multiversitycomics.com uh, uh, comic syllabus episode. All right. Take care, y'all. Be safe.